You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little show, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. All right, before we get started here, I have something really cool to talk to you about. Uh, we actually have today on this episode the very first sponsor that we've ever had here on a Digging Oak Island podcast, uh, and that is a productivity drink called Magic Mind. Now, let me tell you something. I, I, I am not, I've, as you know, you've been listening to this for a while. You know I have not been out looking for sponsors. I wasn't looking for one this time. I also wasn't looking for some sort of energy style drink. It's just not something that's part of my daily day, but Every morning I get up and I do a lot of the bulk of my work, especially the bulk of my podcasting work, and I'm a musician, so I'm spending nights playing, right? And I'm getting up in the morning, getting my kid off to school, and then my <laughs> rubbing my eyes and coming back here for a little groggy work on, on the podcast or what have you, and uh, I never really thought about moving to something like an energy drink because anytime I've tried anything like that in the past, it's always kind of giving me the heebie-jeebies. You know, it's like having too much caffeine, uh, and I don't like overdoing caffeine. I mean, I've forced to many times, but I don't like overdoing it. So then this company reached out to me and said, would you care if would you be interested in us sponsoring your show or a couple of episodes of your podcast? And I, I started reading up on this company and I started reading up on this drink, this Magic Mind drink, and uh, I said for no other reason other than I think this might help me. <laughs> I said sure, let's give it a try. So uh, they sent me a bunch of stuff. Um, it's all the same stuff, right? It's all this Magic Mind drink. It's a little shot glass worth. I took it in the morning. It says you could use it with your coffee or replace your coffee. So what I did was kind of cut in the middle. Instead of a big 20-ounce cup of coffee, I cut myself down to sort of a normal cup of coffee and then had this magic mind. And now I'm on maybe day three. Day day one of taking this, um, you, 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 feel, you feel a little bit of it, right? You feel a little bit of the effect of it. But as the next day comes in and then the next day, it's not... The reason why I call it a productivity drink is because it doesn't feel to you like an energy drink. Instead, it feels like something that just sort of clears your mind up, um, makes you focus a little better. You know, you're not rubbing your eyes. You're not, uh, you know, you're not yawning while you're trying to record a podcast. This is the kind of things we've done. Anyway, I, I love this stuff. I can't believe how great it is. I, I'm totally shocked by it. Uh, and if you want to try it out yourself, we have a little uh, discount code going. Um, just go to magicmind.co, C-O, slash digging, and then uh, you can get your subscription there and uh, use a discount code digging 20 and you can get 20% off your one-time purchase, and you can also use it to get 40% uh, off your subscription. This is a subscription thing. It kind of builds on itself as it goes, right? So it's not a, that's a really cool thing about it. It's not, you, 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 you down an energy drink and then you feel hyped up for an hour or two and then you crash. That's not what this does. I haven't felt anything like that. I mean, not anything like your normal, uh, even caffeine style, coffee style crash that I always get around uh, lunchtime for sure. Maybe right after lunchtime. That's when I feel like I need to take a nap every day, even though I got tons of stuff to keep doing. Anyway, it's called Magic Mind. 
It really is impressive stuff. I can't tell you how impressed I am by it. If you can want to learn more about it, their website is magicmind.co. Uh, and if you want to subscribe, again, magicmind.co slash diggin, and then you can use our discount code diggin20. And I just want to thank the guys at Magic Mind, not only for sending me this stuff, but also for supporting the show. And again, this is the first time we've had a sponsor for this show, and it's really um it's really flattering to have them reach out to me and also to be <laughs> producing such a really cool uh, such a really cool product. Anyway, okay, so the plan for today's podcast was to do a little Season 9 Listener Recap Podcast as a bunch of you have sent in your thoughts and opinions on the recently concluded season of The Curse of Oak Island, but we're going to, in fact, do that in the next podcast and instead talk about the postseason drilling down episode from last week, not this week's. But last week's. So if you want to get your thoughts in on season nine and you want me to have them read in the next podcast, please, please do so. Drop me an email at digginoakisland at gmail.com. I'd like to get as much sort of viewer fan feedback of this show as we possibly can get. Now, before we talk about the drilling down episode that I mentioned, I do have a couple of sort of general Oak Island questions to answer from listeners. Uh, so I thought I'd read those now rather than lump them in with all of the uh, season nine stuff that we'll do next week. And we could start actually by going down under. That's right. All the way to Australia to hear from Mike, who says, good day, Dave. Did I say that well enough, Mike? Good day. Good day, Dave. Firstly, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank you and congratulations on a fantastic and insightful podcast I know I speak on behalf of your Australian fans down under and appreciating your work. Thank you very much, sir. Having listened to your podcast, watching episode after episode, season after season, and knowing the sun is setting on the series and the Lagina legacy is drawing to an end, my question to you is, what's next for the, ten for the tenancy and ownership of the island going forward? Given the split ownership of the island, where do you see the ownership structure moving into the future? If and when we arrive at the end of season 10 and there is nothing of consequence to show for the exploration, what do you think the owners will do? Will Oak Island simply become a tourist destination and landowners commercialize tourism to the island? Or do you see the Laginas washing their hands at the experience and selling up? I look forward to your podcast continuing and uh, seeing what may come of the little time the Laginas have left. Uh, cheers, mate. Mike, um, Mike, greetings for one thing. Uh, it is absolutely great to have you as our uh, new Australian correspondent, uh, which I think is always good to have our correspondents all over. We have uh, some over in the West Coast of Canada. We have some in Europe and, and now all the way down under. It really blows me away that this little island in the North Atlantic is known all the way on the other side of the world, uh, not to mention that this podcast is heard around the globe. That blows me away. It's very humbling. Anyway. Let's get you some answers. Uh, Mike, Marty Lagina and Craig Testa are successful and uh, accomplished businessmen who have made a boatload of money for themselves well before their involvement with Oak Island um, and their involvement with the History Channel, too, has made them millions, I'm sure. So I guess the best way I can answer that is to say the guys certainly will try to commercialize, to use your word, the island and the tourism to the island if that's what they think is the best thing to do with their money, right? And with their investment, which is what Oak Island is. Now, having said all that, I do believe though, right? Besides just that sort of <laughs> general take on Craig Tester and Marty Lagina, I do believe that turning the island into a tourist destination is the current working plan for the Laginas for the future of Oak Island and the future being the post-History Channel era of um, Oak Island. 
And I have two reasons to think that. One, uh, they've been setting up this whole idea for the past few years now, and specifically in more than one of these Maddie Blake shows, like the one we're going to talk about later in this podcast. In these episodes, we've seen in these drilling down things that how the guys are making major aesthetic improvements to the island, and expensive ones for that matter. That leads me to believe that at least at this point, the plan is to make Oak Island tourists stop for sure. And let's face it, the secrecy with which they conduct this show does not really lend to having a lot of tourists on the island. So it seems as though the work that they're doing when we see this stuff is simply planning for the post-treasure hunt future. They're taking their money, their investment from from the History Channel and um, you know, smartly using it for the future for a years or perhaps even decade-long pause in the treasure hunt. Um, this has happened before over the centuries many times. Some of the treasure, some treasure hunting group leaves the island without a treasure, uh, completely ruined. You know their uh, their hopes and dreams and all of their uh, all of their funds and tatters. You know, and uh, then there is sort of a good long time before anyone comes back to try to take a punt here. Um, with the Laginas being so well known. And with the search becoming so popular and so public, way more so than it ever has before, right? It's hard really for me to see someone new walking in a week later and investing a ton of money right away. Uh, So I do think the island might be a little hard for the Laginas to simply, what's the word, unload to a new treasure hunter. Now, perhaps they can lease it to a treasure hunter like many have in the past, Um, but I don't think they're going to be able to sell it that way. It just seems a difficult way to do it. Um, The popular thing was always that uh, new treasure hunters over the years would sort of convince themselves that those who came before them either didn't have the funds or they didn't have the technology or the wherewithal that they have to finish the job. And that was usually the motivating factor behind thinking that they could succeed when someone else just failed, right? Just, Just left the island with their tail between their legs. I would think now that's a real hard sell, right? I, I would think that's that that kind of factor might not be there. Um, just considering how over the top, expensive and thorough, you know, the Laginas have been compared to everyone who came before them, and how public they have been about it. I mean, any any you know new treasure hunter just needs to look at uh, you know ten seasons worth of shows to realize just how much work they've done and how much they've invested for nothing. If that ended up being the case, right? So that's that's why I think you're probably on to something there. Great stuff, Mike. Thanks for listening. Keep writing in, please. Let's head back to this side of the globe now and hear from John and Mara, who write, I have tried to reconcile the wide range of opinions as to whether Templars actually reached North America. Books, tomes, articles, letters, trinkets, etc. have all been rolled out as evidence supporting the premise. Certainly some stuff on our favorite show seemingly is accepted as evidence, Couple that with the grainy videos we have seen on the show with horsemen wearing white tunics with red crosses prominently displayed. Yeah, well, those are <laughs> those are actors uh, on Oak Island, no less. Professor of history specializing in the Middle Ages tend to be lined up on the side of saying no. Would appreciate what you have found on this fascinating piece of history or fantasy. We are new to your show, so forgive us um, if this ground has been covered. John and Mara in suburban Chicago, uh, guys. Uh, I would have to say that this is not something I can answer with any real authority. I am not an um, expert on Templars. I have talked to a few, for sure. There's some podcasts in the past where we talk to Templar historians. Um, but having said all that, I, 
I do think that maybe nobody really can, right? I mean, I, I think it is, listen, is it possible the Templars came to America? Yes, of course it's possible. Uh, we are now pretty confident that, you know, I mean, I'm not telling you anything different, but that Christopher Columbus was not the first European to discover a continent on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. That much we can pretty much say for sure now. The Templars were sailors as well as warriors, engineers, and bankers. So they had the means, they had the resources, and they had the ability to make, you know, what we now know as a transoceanic sail. But did they? And if so, why? Those are the things we can't say for sure. It was a sail into the unknown, right? To the far reaches of the world and off the end of the world, right? What would motivate them to do that? And to also leave absolutely no record of any such voyage ever being done, right? Um, it is true that there are some interesting things in North America that make you think perhaps the Templars were here. I've seen a bunch of them. I've watched the shows much like you have. Uh, I have not specifically... Um, you know, delved into this area of research myself just because I don't, uh, I have not prioritized the Templar connection. I'm un unlike where we're going with the Curse of Oak Island. I don't think, I, I don't have any reason to believe the Templars were part of this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I don't, there are many people who do, but uh, I've researched many other theories that I find very fascinating. The Templar one I am yet to be fascinated by. Um, you know, so I'm not an expert on this. There are people who are, you know, and there are people who, you know, good learned people who have, um, you know, agreed or, or have opined that the Templars did come here. But as you say, and you're right, historians generally don't. And, and with regards to Oak Island, there's simply nothing found at all on the island that supports the theory that the Templars came here. The only thing that comes close is the lead cross. But there's no reason to believe that that lead cross was put there by the Templars. There's no reason, right? Um, so there's really nothing that supports this theory for Oak Island. Nothing. And as you say, you know, as we mentioned here, the historians lean against the idea. And 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 now that and any, let me put it this way: any historian that I have spoken to about this, um, you know, they say it just like that, right? They, they say, just like I told you here, that could they have done this if they so desired? Sure, they can. But so far, there's really nothing concrete to say that they ever did or had any reason to. They mo Most historians leave the possibility open, especially since some new information could be discovered somewhere down the road, right? I hope this answers your question, guys. Um, again, I'm not an expert. There are a lot of avenues to take on this. There are a lot of books about the Templars in North America that could convince you. Uh, but as you say, even as you read these books, you tend to uh, go to other historians and other academics, and they don't necessarily agree that what these books are showing amounts to evidence, clear evidence of a Templar uh, voyage to North America. Anyway, all right, let's finish up this week's email section with our man in Portugal, Lionel, who writes, Hi, Dave. I was watching the latest drilling down and would just want to highlight something Marty said right at the beginning, that they found gold in the metal, metals, corrected Rick, was not consistent with the overall gold levels in the area and thus supports an external intervention as a possible explanation. This is a critical aspect that, the much, that was much inquired in your podcast. Why not present it in the show when they discussed gold levels instead let it pass absentmindedly in a drilling down episode? 
And another aspect, the original owner of the Regalera estate, this is the estate with the, uh, with the initiation well that they visited in Sintra, is presented as Antonio Augusta de Carvalho Montero. This translates as Anthony Augustus of Oak Gamekeeper. <laughs> now that's a nice coincidence. Can't believe the writers missed that. Cheers, Lionel. Uh, Lionel, your first point was something I was going to mention in the next segment, and we will, right? But let's just touch on it briefly here. Marty says the gold is, quote, not consistent with the natural gold of the area. So something introduced for sure, end quote. Again, I'm going to talk about it more in just a second. But man, oh man, what a weird thing to just mention in passing. I mean, usually they brush off bad news. You remember the Roman pilum? <laughs> Right? We brought in some antiquities expert who they found this long thing and it looked like uh, you know the end of an arrow or something like that. And um, he said it was possibly a Roman pilum. Well, in a drilling down episode, the next spring or the next fall, uh, Maddie just dismisses that as not being the case. And that's usually what happens, right? That's usually when we brush things off. But this wasn't bad news by any means, right? This is the idea of something supporting gold being down there. Um, and, and Lionel, you're 100% right. We talked about this a lot, about whether this gold was possibly natural. And they now know that it isn't natural? Really? Anyway, we're going to come back to that in just a second. We'll talk more about it. So hang on, Lionel. And about your translation. Again, I just need to say this. I literally have the most amazing group of listeners of any podcast you will find anywhere, full stop. <laughs> Once again, this podcast is made better and more informative by one of the many brilliant listeners who write in and contribute on a weekly basis. Lionel, absolutely fascinating stuff. You are this week's uh, brilliant contribution to this show. Uh, and there is always one or two. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My guess is they didn't mention it, Lionel, um, because they didn't have you to help them figure that out. <laughs> That's all for this week's emails. If you have any comments or questions for me that you like discussed in a future podcast, just email them along. Island at gmail.com. All right. Now, I want to talk about the drilling down episode from last week called Always Forward. Uh, now, there was indeed a new drilling down episode this past Tuesday, and maybe we'll talk about that in the future podcast. But I want to go back a week uh, to what was their little season wrap up show. Now, I don't usually talk about these drilling downs because it's a lot of bluster and a lot of exaggeration. But I thought this was a great sort of gateway into the wrap up of season nine. Now, we've gotten one of these postseason-type Matty Blake shows over the last few years. Occasionally, these things can be really interesting, like the one where they showed us the seismic survey results, which, if you remember, convinced Matty there was a ship in the swamp. Of course, that proved to not be the case, but there is still a, it was still a thrilling bit of Oak Island television, for sure, when it first aired. It had us all excited for what the next season might hold. And going into this episode, I thought just perhaps... We would get some results from the Muon survey, which they mentioned and was done last summer. They said it would take months. It certainly has been months since those scenes where they were setting this all up were shot. Uh, so that's why I thought this could be, you know, really cool. We might get some of that here, but we didn't have anything quite that exciting. Uh, but there are certainly a few things that are worth mentioning, especially in relation to wrapping up my thoughts on season nine. So let's get right to it. For this show... 
Matty Blake has once again traveled to Traverse City, Michigan to meet with Rick, Marty, Craig, Alex Lagina, and Jack Begley for a sort of season nine debrief in the now familiar conference room for what I believe is Marty and Craig's business office. Now, I got to just mention this little sidebar. Um, I am really surprised they don't do this at Marty's Vineyard, uh, which is beautiful and very impressive and you would think would make a great little sort of cross-promotion marketing campaign. But anyway, there must be a reason they do it in this very uh, stuffy-looking conference room, uh, so we'll just go with it, right? Maddie says right at the top, quote, we finally have a prime suspect for who was behind it all, end quote. And to me, that was a very strange, <laughs> very inaccurate statement on Maddie's part. And before I even talk about that, let me just stop and say this here. Folks, if you love The Curse of Oak Island, if you love Maddie Blake and you love everyone in the show and you don't like criticism of them, this might not be the podcast for you. I'm going to pull this show apart a little bit here and there's not a lot positive to talk about. I'm not going to go completely negative on it, but I just wanted you to know that, uh, that this might not be the show for you. At the end of all this, you'll hear why I'm going to criticize it and what I mean by all this. But if you don't like that kind of criticism, really, rather than get yourself aggravated, I'd suggest not listening and come back in the next couple of podcasts where we do a little bit different stuff, you know, or get back into the history of the dig. Just a little warning. Okay. The show starts off really kind of honestly beyond, you know, to, to, to be fair, the guys are expressing their disappointment in the season. And they're doing it while trying to maintain something of a kind of a positive spin for themselves. And I suppose for the viewers, too, that's a natural treasure hunter way of doing things. So uh, I, I get that. But you can also tell that it's obviously very hard for them to stay positive. Rick calls season nine, quote, frustrating. And then Craig Tester describes the year as, quote, higher highs and lower lows, to which I have to question what he means there. What highs were higher this year than in past years? It's hard to figure out what he means, but from watching this scene, you really get a sense that maybe the editors kind of tore this whole conversation apart to the point where really it seemed very choppy to me and very difficult to sort of <laughs> put together. It just didn't have a very natural flow. The editors, it's very possible. I don't know this for sure. The editors may have gone out of their way to try to make this all sound very positive. I don't know if you guys felt the same way about that scene, but um, it's how it felt to me. So I won't be uh, I won't get too much too much into what we heard here, other than um, to say that if Craig really means that, I'm not really sure what he meant, uh, what higher highs he's talking about, but uh, he could have meant something completely different with the editing. Who knows? It's here where I need to come back to the um, this here in the show. Where I need to come back to that quote we talked about a little earlier with Leonel in the email section of the podcast. One of the first quote-unquote major discoveries from this season that the show wants to discuss was these metal pieces found in a borehole at the early part of the season that had trace amounts of gold within this metal. Marty says the gold was, quote, again, not consistent with the natural gold in the area, so something introduced for sure. And as I mentioned, I was absolutely blown away by this. There's no other way to say it. I guess besides the idea of why this would be mentioned so casually in a you know off-season episode and not in a proper Curse of Oak Island episode, which means it's got to mean many fewer viewers got to see it. The first thing that comes to mind is how does he know this exactly? Like, did you test for the gold? Did you somehow trace its origins like you were able to do with the lead? If they know that it is not from Nova Scotia, can this testing tell us Maybe where, in fact, it is from? Now, listen, 
The reason this is not only an incredible revelation, but also a frustrating one for us, is this idea that the gold could be natural was something we kicked around for weeks. We all wanted to know if such information could ever be found, and it seems that yes, it can, and that they already did the testing needed to get these answers, but yet they never bothered to mention it on the show. Sure, it's possible that they found out after the season was over, but they're not going to tell us what they did here. And when they finally do decide to mention it, it gets one sentence in a show many Curse of Oak Island viewers won't see, like I said. Listen, coupled with the wood found in the same hole dating to 1488 to 1650, either way, you look at this gold, it is potentially very significant. But why not say more? Why be so dismissive? It's very strange, and it really makes me question what else they know about this and what they aren't telling me, telling us, you know. And let me also add this. Since we know the wood found in the same borehole comes from the pre-searcher era of Oak Island, and this gold is not natural gold found in Nova Scotia, it also makes the work with the cans done later on in this area just doubly disappointing. I mean, they really seem to have been onto something big here, but it really eluded them. And that's the real story. But Maddie Blake kind of glosses over that. And let me say that, you know, maybe something sometime in the future we'll hear more. So I'm willing to admit that. Uh, that like I said, there's another drilling down this week that I haven't seen at the time of this recording. So it is possible they mentioned it there. And I'll be more than happy to offer up a, uh, a mea culpa should that be the case. Now, towards the end of the first segment, the team talks about government shutdowns again. It's a frustrating conversation. I'm not going to take the bait, except to say that really uh, they talk a little bit more honestly here about it than they had in the past. They dispense with the normal exaggerations that usually seem to accompany these sort of belly aching conversations about the government stuff. And that's all I'm going to say, except to repeat something I mentioned last week. So let me say it like this. Do I want the government to allow them to search here or even for the government to maybe appoint their own archaeologists to do some kind of searching here? Yes. Because what Laird's discovery of Mi'kmaq pottery here in the southeast corner of the swamp does is open the possibility that much of what we consider to be mysterious within the swamp is, in fact, First Nations in origin, and not the Templars or the Freemasons or the Portuguese or whoever. I would love for that lead to be followed. Because Laird isn't the first expert to look at the swamp and find something that kind of points towards a First Nations origin. So I, I definitely want them to follow that lead, and I hope they are able to do so. And honestly, I'm surprised that the team also <laughs> is so enthusiastic. And I wonder if really they are, because this could be the answer to the swamp stuff, and it's not the answer they're hoping for, certainly not the answer History Channel's hoping for. Okay, anyway, next segment of the show begins with a chat about the quote-unquote prime suspects. Remember at the top of the show, Maddie Blake said that this season had brought a possible prime suspect for who was behind it all. That was his quote. But rather than discussing this one prime suspect, the team instead names the French, the English, the Spanish, the Portuguese, so basically every European nation who explored the New World during this age of discovery, which covers the era of you know the 15th century through the 17th century, really. But keeping with the show's theme, especially for this season, predictably, it is the Portuguese who they really want to talk about. Now, during this conversation, Jack says about the Portuguese, quote, we're pretty sure there is some sort of involvement on the island with them. And I just need to mention this here. OK, I have honestly no earthly clue what Jack is talking about. Now, 
If he is saying, and again, the editing could be the cause of the confusion here, but if he is saying that they feel confident the Portuguese sailed to these waters and were around the area, well, that's one thing. However, that doesn't seem to be the point he was trying to make. It certainly wasn't the point the show was trying to make because the context of what he was talking about was pointing towards a, uh, you know, it was about these things that they've discovered, which they believe uh, kind of implicates the Portuguese for the origin of the money pit. And that, in my mind, obligates me to point out to all of you that nothing, and I mean nothing, the team has found this year was proven to be Portuguese in origin. Uh, nor did they find anything that proves the Portuguese were ever on Oak Island. There certainly was a lot of what one can describe as tangential, I guess, if that's the right word, tangential evidence at best this season that may or may not you know, talk about the Portuguese, but nothing definitive or even close in my mind. And let me take it one step further. Place the finds from this year, these Portuguese finds, right, uh, in context with everything they found, which they claim to be from somebody else, either the Spanish or the British or the French. And you really have to question why they would try and conclude the Portuguese are the prime suspects. I mean, just take the Spanish coin they found in season one, for example, right? That coin was absolutely 100% Spanish in origin. And that one artifact goes a longer way to proving a Spanish connection than anything, than the sum total of everything they found this season proves any Portuguese involvement. Am I making sense here? And this is a product of my main issue with this entire episode. They are trying like crazy to make this season look like some sort of huge success when even the team themselves know it was, in fact, a huge disappointment. Now, during the same segment here, the chat goes towards the Freemasons, another thing discussed in context with their recent trip to, the, to Portugal. They do that thing where they compare Masonic symbols found in, in Portugal with Masonic looking symbols found over the years here in Oak Island. I've talked about those symbols many times, and, and despite the origin issue involved with the Oak Island symbols, which there certainly are, um, you know, the ones they show here. Issues, again, I've discussed many times, listen to the last couple of podcasts and you'll know what I mean. But I have to also ask this question. They want to show us and tell us about how many Freemasons have been on the island. They want to talk about Barkhouse and Roosevelt and chapels and on and on and on. But yet then we're supposed to be surprised to find Masonic symbols on Oak Island? I don't understand the great mystery here. Now, if these symbols can be proven or dated to be pre-1795, then you have something. But that's not the case. They have not. Anyway, the conversation soon pivots to the uh, Knights Templar and the Order of Christ. Alex and Marty say that both of them had essentially written off the Templar theory, I suppose, this trip to Portugal and recent discussions about the Order of Christ is what has changed their mind. And again, I'm fascinated by this, and I question if this truly is how they feel. What was discovered this year, guys, about the Templars or about the Order of Christ that you didn't already know? What piece of evidence changed your mind on this theory? And folks, I'm genuinely curious about this. It just it doesn't compute with me. It doesn't make any sense. Now, as the show continues on, there's a lot of talk about Zena Halpern's map. I I really do find Rick's devotion to this map and this research very heartfelt and, and a little touching too, you know, but also somewhat misguided. It's one of those things, a lot like the HO stone that I, and a lot like the, the swamp, the ship in the swamp 
that I would just like to see the show and the guys move on from. But I guess that's not going to happen anytime soon. And while I'm a criticizing mood here, you know, let me just say we can count Maddie Blake apparently among those at the Oak Island production team who don't seem to actually know the definition of the word ancient. But be that as it may, there was one really fascinating thing that was revealed towards the end of the show. So let me mention that. Rick Lagina tells Maddie Blake that they have hired researchers to work in Europe to find and track down any information in Europe that might lead them towards an involvement with Oak Island. He says that they have someone working right now researching in Portugal as well as over in the Azores and even in Turin, Italy. Now, I got to say this. I'm going to you know, <laughs> add a good positive here. I love this idea. And it has been a long time coming in my mind. If this is the direction season 10 is going to take, I'm all in. That sounds like a great idea to me. I've talked a lot, as we, and I'm sure we will talk about this next week too. I've talked a lot about how I feel this show sort of needs a little bit of a change in direction. And this could be just the kind of change I'm hoping for. The show tries to end on a positive note, which is my main criticism of this entire episode. They tried so hard here to make season nine seem like some great success filled with huge discoveries, but we all know that that isn't the case at all. And from the, it doesn't mean it was bad television. Don't get me wrong. I loved watching this as this season. It was fantastic, but they did not, it was not a success. You know, it just, and from the little bit that makes it through the editors, <laughs> I think we can pretty much say for sure that the Laginas feel the same way as we do, you know? So my question is, why do Maddie Blake and the showrunners, and maybe I shouldn't blame Maddie Blake, maybe I should blame the showrunners, I mean, Maddie's just being given a script to read, right? Um, Why do they always feel the need to keep selling us on Oak Island like this? We all know. We've been watching this for 10 years. We know this has been going on for over two centuries. We know just how well, just we know just we know darn well, let me put it that way, just how frustrating this treasure hunt can be and has been for centuries. It's been frustrating for those of us who follow it. It is frustrating for the treasure hunters for over 200 years, and that's part of the charm of it, right? So just admit that to us. Treat us like adults. Admit the island won this round. Because, folks, it did, and there's no other way to put it. As the show comes to a conclusion, I was left a little haunted by something Marty said. When asked if they are close to solving the mystery, a question Maddie seems to have asked these guys every year for the last I don't know how many years. Marty answers ominously, quote, We better find out where we're going to dig treasure by at least next year, end quote. I mean, if that doesn't tell you where Marty's head is right now, then I don't know what can, what can tell you that he is frustrated. He is disappointed. And it seems that this season may have frustrated him to the point where he is now considering the fact that another season like this, and we could see the closing of this chapter in Oak Island's frustrating history. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. 
Shameless plug time. Don't forget, every Wednesday afternoon, I'm DJing on WDVR-FM in New Jersey uh, from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find me hosting a show from 2 to 4 called The Bourbon Street Bistro, and then from 4 to 5, I host a show called Island Vibes. Uh, you can listen by going to WDVRFM.org. You can tell Alexa to turn on WDVR, or if you're in uh, western New Jersey and eastern PA, you can um, listen on 89.7 or 90.5 FM. Uh, let's see. What else do we have to do? Don't forget about the Patreon. Thank you to everybody who's joined up. It's been wonderful. We're going to do some great stuff for the Patreon this summer, uh, including a giveaway or two that I have here for you that I've been talking about. Um, and if so, basically how it works is this. If you think the show is worth $5 a month, then head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. If you'd like to make a donation to the show, the only way you can do that one time without using the Patreon is through my Venmo account that I have for my other music business. Dave McBride music at gmail.com is the way to do that. And um, if you don't want to help us out by doing any by by money, that's great. <laughs> Just listening is all I really ask out of anyone. But if you want to do a little bit more, then uh, leave us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. It does uh, it does the job of getting the word out on the show, which means you know more sponsorship and that kind of stuff, which is always appreciated. The more time I, the more I can devote to this podcast, the better for all of us, right? Um, so anyway, thanks to everybody who's done that. Uh, don't forget, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Diggin' Oak Island. Just put that in your search bar. And again, if you have any questions or comments that you would like to send directly to me, you can do so via email, Island at gmail.com. And just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or a direct message on social media, I may just answer it here on a future podcast. So if you don't want your message read aloud or you want to be answered much more quickly, just please make a note of that and I'll do my best. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Dig in Oak Island.